Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to Habakkuk again. We were there last week. Let's go back there again. Quickest way to find is go to Matthew. Go back then five books in the Old Testament, Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. Praise the Lord. It's in what we call the minor prophets. All of the books of the Bible are arranged according to their relative size in different categories. You have the books of the law, then you have uh, the books of history, and then you have the, the poetic books, Psalms, Job, Psalms, and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you have the prophets, and it begins with the major prophets, the larger books, and it goes to the minor prophets, each one uh, smaller in size. And the epistles are, are set up the same way. The epistles of the New Testament are not arranged chronologically. They're arranged according to their length. Romans being the, the largest New Testament epistle followed by 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all the way down to the book of Jude and then Revelations in another category. So uh, a little Bible structure lesson there. Praise the Lord. Have you found Habakkuk? Amen. In uh, Habakkuk, the second chapter, we read this verse uh, several times and let's read it again tonight. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. And, of course, we've been talking about the importance of the church vision. And uh, in the past, every time I've ministered on the church vision and its importance, I've, I've talked about the importance of the church vision to the church as far as the importance of our calling and so forth. But in this series, I've, I'm, I've been teaching it from a perspective I've never really done before, and that's from the perspective of the importance of the church vision, vision of the collective local church in your own life. And uh, uh, so we've been bringing out uh, a number of things. And so it says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Uh, we're supposed to run with the vision. Amen, not sit back and let somebody else run with it. This is for everyone to run with it. And then in verse three, it says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Notice that the prophet is writing about the vision and he's indicating that there's going to be some time uh, that will pass before the vision will be fulfilled. Can you see that? And But though that is true, he still says run with it. Amen. I tell pastors when I minister to... Uh, uh, in pastors' conferences or teaching in a Bible school to, to young prospective uh, pastors, I say, you know, the vision, you have to run with the vision and you have to, uh, the vision has to be alive on the inside of you and you work as though you're trying to fulfill the vision this week. But you understand that you're likely not gonna fulfill it until the very end. It'll take you all of your life to fulfill the vision of God. But, but it's, like, it's like being ready for the Lord's return. You live every day expecting him to return, but you work like you know he's not going to return uh, or vice versa. In other words, you, you don't just throw your hands up and say, well, Jesus is coming back, you know, and so you know, let's just all get ready for, you know, to go. No, there's work to be done in the meantime. 
Isn't that right? Well, by the same token, he said we're to run with the vision, but yet the vision is for an appointed time. And it says at the end, it will speak. It will not lie. In other words, it will not betray itself. Whatever God gave us as a vision, as a church, it's going to come to pass. It's going to be proven to be true over time. And you can see that over time, it is being proven to be true, that there is fruit coming from the vision that God has given us. But uh, he says uh, it will surely come to pass. And so we've been talking about how that uh, in, in when it comes to church vision, particularly pastors, one of the, the biggest uh, 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 temptations ministers have in general and pastors in particular is the biggest temptation is to quit in the early days to, to, because pastors get very disillusioned. They start a church or maybe take a church and they have a vision for what God's going to do and so they're all excited and, and uh, if, it's a, if it's a new church, everybody's excited. If it's a pastor taking over a church, generally people are excited about that, you know, and, and everybody starts working together and everybody's excited about what God's going to do and over time, uh, when pastors don't understand this, they become disillusioned. And they, well, what's, you know, why, why aren't we doing more? I thought it was going to happen sooner. And, uh, and it's happening, but it just seems so slow, and maybe I'm doing something wrong. I, I wish I had been taught these things when I was in Bible school. I just had to learn it by experience and observation, not only in my life, but looking in, in, in other churches and pastors over, you know, I've been doing this for 36 years. Some things you learn just, you know, you know, just by, by observing. And uh, I never heard anybody talk this. In fact, I've been to many pastors' conferences myself where I attended and other uh, seasoned ministers uh, would, uh, would teach on the subject of, of the local church and so forth and church growth. And, and uh, particularly in the early days, I mean, I went to a lot of them. I don't go to many of them anymore because so many pastors' conferences and ministers' conferences today are all about the natural. In my day, it was mostly about spiritual principles with some natural information that would help you thrown in. Today, it's almost 100% all natural. I don't, I don't attend the, I, you know, I'm, I'm licensed and ordained through RMAI. I used to be a regional director with RMAI, Raymond Ministerial Association International. I almost never go to the, to the regional fellowships anymore because all they talk about is the natural side of ministry all of the natural tools and they stress and, and, and virtually have no information uh, about the, the important things of prayer and faith and, and so forth. And of course, I know those things, but uh, uh, you, know, you, you want to hear insight from other people that will help you. And when all you hear is natural things all the time, I'm just, I don't go. But over the years, I've attended many uh, uh, conferences and, and so forth and I've never heard anybody teach uh, some of the things that I've learned uh, through experience. I don't know if, if, if it hasn't dawned on people or if they just, I don't know. But uh, uh, it is a, a, an area where pastors become discouraged and disillusioned and can be tempted to throw in the towel and, uh, and go someplace else. Well, it affects church members the same way. It does, it affects church, it can, I say, and very often does affect church members the same way church members can become uh, impatient, become disillusioned and so forth when they don't see things happening the way they think it ought to happen. And uh, uh, what the scripture says is that it takes time for a church to fulfill its destiny. 
Amen. You, every now and then, you know, when I stop like that and I pause, that's a good time to say amen, you know. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. We pointed out the fact that uh, just like the storms of life come to every person, the storms of church life come to every church. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody told me to expect the storms of church life. And when it hit the first time, I mean, it, it was, it was uh, very discouraging. And, and, and uh, you think, well, you know, you're doing something wrong because, you know, you, this, this attack from the enemy has come against your church. But like I pointed out earlier, uh, the storms of life come to every person. Jesus said they were coming. And we don't immediately think, well, I must be doing something wrong. You know, if, if I, the devil's attacking me, I must be doing something wrong. Well, very often he's attacking you because you're doing something right and because you're a threat to him. The Bible says we have an adversary. The devil is an adversary and he walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's always on the prowl. He's always scheming against us. Well, wouldn't it make sense that he's always scheming against the church? against the local body. I mean, it, he, he would be really off on his game. I mean, he would really be uh, not very smart if he didn't attack the church just like he attaches individuals, attacks, I mean. Uh, isn't that right? So uh, the devil is always scheming against local churches. He's always trying to raise up uh, problems and to stir up trouble. And so we shouldn't be surprised from time to time when a church goes through a trying time, a difficult time. And just like you don't, you don't abandon your brother or your sister when you see them going through a difficult time, you don't say to yourself, well, you know, I thought they were a really good Christian, but look what's happened to them. You know, they've had all this adversity in their lives. Hmm, you know, I, I think I'm gonna shun them. Something must be wrong with them. Well, you know, you would be ashamed of yourself to even think such a thing. But people do that to their church all the time. They do it all the time. Yes, it's, it's, and uh, uh, people ought to be ashamed of themselves for doing that. Amen. Amen. Doesn't make sense. Uh, people, when, when this happens, we talked about this, you know, when, when times of trouble come. Actually, I got thinking about this this afternoon. We ought to be really amazed that we don't have more trouble than we do. Really, given the devil given his aptitude and his inclination to, to, to always stir up trouble, I mean, it's really a testimony to how strong we are in, in any other church that, that they're just not having crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. And, but we don't because we're strong. But that doesn't mean the enemy's not going to over time. He's, he's slow and methodical. Over time, he begins to build a case. He begins to build and plant and, and, and sow the seeds of, of uh, discontent, so to speak. And, uh, uh, you know, over time, these things do come up. And, and people, when that happens, you know, they, they think, well, what's wrong with my church? Something must be wrong with my church. We're going through all this trouble, you know. And people, when that happens in a church, a lot of times people uh, start leaving a church over, you know, things that come up and it kind of snowballs. And then people are looking around. I've had people come to me before back a few years ago. And we lost some people, you know, over a, a, a two or three year period. Uh, period. And, and I heard people come to me, Pastor, what's, what's wrong with our church? You know, it's, well, I don't know. What's wrong with you? Uh, sometimes, like I said uh, last week, sometimes people just need to move on. 
I mean, if, if, if they're not in the flow that, that we're in, uh, let me say that. They should straighten up. They should straighten up. But if they're not going to straighten up, you know, we don't want them to stay here and just cause more trouble. Amen. I, I'm never glad to lose anybody. But at the same time, sometimes I see that it just has to happen. Because if, if uh, you know, Amos said, if, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? And, and, and this is the true, it's true in a local church. So people say, well, what's wrong with our church? Or what's wrong with our pastor? You know, why is our church going through all this trouble? While the, you know, the ABC church down the road, man, they're just doing great. Everybody's, you know, I mean, they're growing. Everybody around town is talking about how great it is and, and things are just going wonderful, you know, and here, you know, things are not, you know, what's going on? Must, God must be moving there and he's not moving here. Well, you know, uh, not everything in a person's life when you're going through trouble, that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. And we also know that just because an individual is doing well by all outward appearance, making most money he's ever made, happiest he's ever been, things working out better than they were, that doesn't mean God's doing those things. Not necessarily. Could be, but it might not be. You know, we, Jesus one time, made, one time made a statement. He said, do not judge by, uh, according to appearances. Don't judge according to appearances. Judge righteous judgment. Well, what is righteous judgment? Judgment by the word and by the spirit. Judge by the word and by the spirit. Somebody was asking me just in the last few days about a particular doctrine. And they said, you know, what do you know about this particular doctrine? And they identified it. And I said, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't heard of that. Uh, and there was a term that was used that uh, I knew about a doctrine that, that was popular a few years ago. And so I said, I don't know if it's related to this particular, you know, uh, error that surfaced a number of years ago or not. And I said, but the thing is, you know, examine it. This was another minister. I said, examine it, uh, but examine it by the word and by the spirit. See, people, a lot of times they, they, they get tripped up because they judge things by the word. The problem is you don't know enough of the word. You don't know everything about the Bible. There are a lot of doctrines. I'm straying a little bit off my message, but there's an application here. There are a lot of doctrines that have an abundance of scriptural, apparent scriptural support, but they're not scriptural. They sound scriptural. You know, I can, I can, I could make a case, and I could find a biblical scripture or several to support virtually anything you could come up with tonight. Virtually any kind of an idea. I mean, you know, not crazy stuff, but things that that are just generally sound good that not necessarily in the Bible. I could give you some scriptural support for it, because you can find scripture to support just about anything. But that doesn't mean those things are scriptural. So I told this person, I said, judge by the word, but also by the spirit. Brother Hagin told this story years ago about uh, a man that uh, was, in, was in a church and he was a, a very capable, well-educated Bible teacher. He wasn't in the, in the full-time ministry, but he was in this church and he had been a Bible student for many years and had all of the books, you know, that they teach in, in uh, Bible colleges and theology and well-learned, well-grounded in scripture. And uh, someone came to town teaching this, this, this new doctrine. 
And a lady in this church, in this same church where this, this uh, uh, very knowledgeable Bible teacher uh, went, this young lady or this young woman who had just gotten saved, she hadn't been saved but just a, a few weeks or a, or a few months, just new in the Lord, not from a church background. She went to, to the meeting where this particular uh, minister, you know, that was teaching this new doctrine where he was holding his meetings. She went in and she ran the references, you know, as he, as he gave the scriptural basis, you know, supposedly for his, mess, for his, uh, for his revelation. And she said, you know, I, I couldn't find anything wrong with it, but just something in here told me it's just not right. Something's just not right. So she said, I didn't go anymore. I just quit going. I couldn't explain it. This other man who was a uh, well-established, you know, grounded uh, Christian as far as the word, he went, he completely bought into this, to this false doctrine and it was some time before the real error was exposed and this man was really suffered a lot spiritually because he got tangled up in it. Well, how in the world can that happen? Somebody that knows all this about the Bible got taken in. Somebody that didn't know much about the Bible didn't get taken in. It's because sometimes people follow their head knowledge of Scripture and they don't listen to their heart. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Word. And frankly, I don't know all the word of God. I don't know everything there is to know. Neither do any of the rest of us. But the one on the inside knows. And he can alert me when something is not as it appears to be. He might, and I've had him do that before. I've had people bring me uh, back in the day, you know, when we used uh, cassette tapes a lot. If somebody brought me, you know, I've heard, you've heard this story. Somebody brought, me, somebody brought me a series of cassette tapes. You know, they were listening to this Bible teacher from another state. And he was, you know, teaching all these things. And she was going to the Bible study. And she brought it to me because she wanted to bless me. Oh, I think you just love these, you know, this, this, oh, this guy's really great. Well, I listened to one or two of them and something just wasn't right. And I really couldn't right away, it took me a while to really pinpoint where the error was. And I gave them back to her and I said, you know, you can do what you want to, but I wouldn't listen to that anymore. And, uh, and I was able to point out one or two things, but it was mostly something in here just in my inward man. It was just a red flag. Something didn't seem right. So when you're judging these things uh, about church and so forth, you have to listen to, to what's being said in here. Amen. That's what Jesus meant when he said uh, judge righteous judgment. Don't just judge according to uh, the appearance. So, you know, the church, you know, someplace else is, uh, you know, in the, in the same town. There's another church and things are going great there, you know. Well, uh, like I said, not every crisis is the fault of that church and not every church that's flourishing is pleasing God. Now, you know, are they or are they aren't? Are, are they or aren't they? Really, it's none of, my, none of my business. It's none of my business what's going on in the other church. It's my business and our business what's going on here. Amen, following the plan of God for our church, you know. Yeah, but they're getting people saved. They're just getting people saved. I hear that. They're just getting so many people saved. Well, really, how do you know that? I mean, you ever stop and ask yourself, how do you know they're getting so many people saved? Well, they say they are. Well, maybe. Well, they have all these people coming down every Sunday, but how do you know they're getting saved? I'm well satisfied. People have come forward to my church before. And went through the process and didn't get saved. Amen. Some people 
seem to, to think that getting saved is joining the church. Now, that, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that's happened here, even, even though as strong as I am, you know, on giving invitations and explaining, you know, just as clear as you can make it, that salvation is a matter of personal faith in Jesus Christ alone. I mean, I, I, you know me, I make that about as plain as you can make, at least as I can. I don't know how, how to do it better. I mean, you'd need help not to understand it. But over the years, I could, I could, I could just count off a number of people, over the, not just one or two, but I mean many. Over the years, people who've come to our church, new, never been here before, start coming to church, you know, and they just, uh, just two or three times and then they come forward. They just seem to be hungry for God. They come up, they answer the call to, you know, to be saved. I pray with them, you know, send them to the prayer room and they stay around a few weeks. They join the church and as soon as they join the church, they disappear. I mean, overnight. Am I telling the truth? Join the church. We read their, uh, you know, and, and welcome them in the church on Sunday morning. Boom, never see them again. Never, not one time. Don't come back that night and the next week, never again. Well, you know, you have to uh, guess at least that some people, you know, uh, confuse church membership with being saved. Some people honestly must believe that, you know, coming to church and, you know, coming forward and going through that process and finally being joining a church, that's what you need to do. And then they're saved and that's all they need. You know, they're, they're a member of the church. Uh, this friend of mine, this pastor friend of mine, he, he's in another uh, city in, in, in this state and he's telling me, you know, that there's a church in his community that's just going huge. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of these what we call a seeker-sensitive church. You know, they've got all of the, all of the, uh, the things that, that attract, you know, the natural uh, uh, a lot of a natural appeal to people, you know, and there's a, there's a whole industry built around, you know, how to make your church, uh, you know, appealing to people. My, my thing is how do we make our church appealing to God? Now, now we do things, you know, there, there are certain things that you can do. You want the place clean and you want it as nice as you, you know, it's, it's, it's all relative to how much budget you have and so forth, but you do the very best you can to make the church. I mean, we have a nice looking church, you know, so we want to do, we have, you know, have nice bathrooms. We have nice, you know, good parking lot, a lot of good things, but that's not where our appeal is. You know, uh, that we, we want to please God. Amen. We want to remove a hindrance that's not necessary, you know, to somebody coming to church, you know, like, you know, driving up and there's weeds growing up and, you know, all over the front of the building and stuff. You know, you, you don't want to do things like that. But anyway, this, this guy, this pastor, he told me this other church, man, they're just, it's one of these seeker-sensitive churches and, you know, they've got everything going. They got the light show on the platform. They got the rock star-esque, you know, preacher in his skinny jeans and, you know, now wouldn't I, now wouldn't I look stupid in skinny jeans? <laughs> Dear Lord, I mean, it used, it used to be in the old days, in the old days, you know, I would laugh at these older preachers and their, you know, dark hair. And you think, please, 75 years old. And you got this jet black or real dark brown hair and it's real thin. You can see through it, you know, and you're thinking, dear God. But now it's worse. Now, now they got the skinny jeans, you know, 70 years old, 
shirt out, you know, the skinny jeans, and they got their, you know, the beads around their neck and the bracelets and the leather, you know, and, and, and you think, oh, my Lord. Do you really think people think you're young? You know? Uh, but this pastor, back to my topic, this pastor, he said there's a church like that in his community. Just everybody's going to it, you know, and it's, it's the big news, and you know, I'll just be honest with you, there are, there are a lot of things involved in church growth that are neither good nor bad, but they're not, necessar- they're not of the devil, they're just, not, they're just not necessarily the result of spiritual impulses. People like to get in on the, on the latest thing. Speaking of skinny jeans, how long, how, you young guys that wear the skinny jeans, how long have y'all been wearing those? How long? Just give me a, just a ballpark. 25 years? No. So let's start, let's 10 years? No. How long? Somebody help me out. Huh, three years? Five years? Doug said, where's Mark Bowers out? He wants you to answer this, Mark. You had on skinny jeans tonight. My, my point, here's, here's my, I don't know what you said. What'd you say? The relaxed fit, okay. (laughs) Listen, my point is, my point is, how does that happen? It happens because people are wearing loose fit jeans and somebody is a trendsetter. They start wearing skinny jeans. And there's always the the innovators, the ones that start trends, and then there's those, that that next tier that start following it. And before long, it's a fashion Everybody wants to do it. I mean, when you're young, when you, when you get my age, you just don't care. <laughs> you just, you, you don't, I'll, I'll say this, you don't care as much, okay? Angela and I laugh about this. A few years ago, men's suits, uh, you know, 10 years ago, men's suits were fairly full-fitting and, and when I was younger, you'd wear your suit jackets, the, the rule of, of uh, uh, general was when you, when you, cradle your hands like that, the bottom of the jacket should be right in the crease like that. Well, years ago, they got longer. They were like here, you know. And it was just, that's just where pants were big and pleated and baggy, you know. Well, in the last few years, men's suits have gotten tighter and they've gone up and they're back, you know, higher than what they used to be in when I, whenever I was first wearing suits in my 20s. And my wife and I, we laugh about it. I mean, you can hardly get them buttoned. I said, I'd say, these guys come to church in my church and they wear these little boy suits. I, did I say that? So they look like little boys. They got these little boy suits. They got all fastened up and they're real short, you know. Well, I'm not going to wear little boy suits. But my suits have gotten shorter. These pants are not pleated and, and they're not as long as they used to be. And my jackets are a little tighter and, and they're a little bit short because you, you want to be somewhat fashionable. But the thing is, everybody wants to get in with what's going on, whether it be fashion or whatever it is. Isn't that right? I mean, that's, that's I, see, I don't see anybody here dressed like, uh, uh, you know, Muslims. I don't see anybody here dressed like, uh, uh, I don't see anybody here dressed like cowboys. We, we, we follow trends because nobody, everybody wants to be in on what's going on. Well, that happens in churches. 
There's a church going. Everybody's, you know, everybody's not going, but that's the, that's the, the sense. Everybody's going. This pastor told me, he said, you just all the, they're, they're getting people out of all the other churches. Well, that's not real church growth in the kingdom of God. He said, yeah, these, these people, they, they talk about how many people they're getting saved. He said, but it's, it's, and I'm not just, you know, criticizing any group, you know, but he said, he said, I came out of the Baptist church. And he said, I, I went to the front and, and, and I went, I said whatever they said, they explained it and then they put my name on the roll. They baptized me in water and put my name on the roll and I thought I was saved. He said, I was a grown man for I realized I never actually had faith in Christ. I was a member of the church. Well, there's a lot of people that are boasting a lot of people being saved, but are they? I don't know. More power to them if they are, if, 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 if that's what they're after. Did you know, now I'm, I'm going to shatter all of the, all of the uh, 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 sacred cows, kick over all the sacred cows tonight. The New Testament does not present the primary function of the local church to get people saved. You will not find that in the New Testament. I said, you will not find in the New Testament that the primary function of the local church is to get people saved. You go through the book of Acts over and over and over. The apostles were out preaching. People were getting saved on the streets. People were, there were signs, wonders, miracles. The people were going out and preaching the word in their community. People were being saved. People, the local church is, is a place where people who are saved come to be nurtured, to be fed the word of God, to, to work together around the vision that God's given that church and so forth. That's the primary function. Now, every church ought to be interested in, in people getting saved, but to judge a church, well, they're getting, you know, they're getting all these people saved. Well, uh, yeah, but are those people growing in the Lord? Do we know if they're being saved? Oh, they're having all these healings and miracles. Well, my question is, why do they have so many sick people? Amen. Christopher Allen, you know, he's a dear friend of mine. He's a, a missionary, an apostle, really. He, he says he's not, but I believe he is, but he uh, has all the, the, the markings of an apostle. He has miracle crusades, you know, that are just phenomenal things that God does. And thousands of people come to Christ every year through his ministry. He comes to the United States. There's a Pentecostal denomination that he likes to preach in. He doesn't preach in Word of Faith churches very much, even though he's a Rhema grad and he knows all of the people in, in the Word of Faith and the Rhema camp. He knows all of them. He primarily does not preach in Word of Faith churches. He primarily preaches in this particular Pentecostal denomination. It's not the one I grew up in, but it's a sister church to that. And I see him, you know, post on Facebook and he's, when he's, those weeks when he's home, he preaches for this, you know, pastor and that pastor in that particular denomination. Have all these people getting saved? All these people being healed? And, and, and I think, well, you know, did they, did they advertise a real, you know, campaign to bring in the lost? Probably not. He's just a guest speaker one Sunday. Why were that many people unsaved in that church? Well, why, why were the, I mean, it's wonderful that he told me, he said, I don't go to Raymond churches. He said, because when I, he said, this isn't, he didn't say because, but he just acknowledged. He said, I don't have those results in, in Word of Faith churches. He said, I don't have those results. Not just, he didn't hear, but he said, I don't have those results in any Word of Faith church. You don't have that many sick people in Word of Faith churches. They're better taught than that. I know now Shekinah Glory, they're dear friends of ours. We've known them for years. 
30 plus years. They advertise all the time on Facebook about, you know, they went into this church and that church and about they had, you know, this church and they had 25 kids filled with the Holy Ghost. Church smaller than ours. Now, if they brought in 25 children, you know, youth from the outside, that's one thing. But my question is, what in the world is a church that size? Why in the world would they have 25 teenagers not filled with the Holy Ghost? I guarantee you they attend our youth group. They're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's not going to be very long. They're going to get them saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, teach them the word of God. Well, Shekinah glory is not going to have those kind of results here. Now, if, if Lois and Cindy heard me say that, they'd just be all of just, oh, I can't believe that. You know, that's why you never have those things. Because you say, no, we, we already got that. We have it every week. We have it, we have it every, we have it on an ongoing, maybe not every week because every week we don't have a visitor, but we have an ongoing. People come to our church, they get saved, they get filled with the Holy Ghost, they begin to be taught who they are in Christ. So we're having those results. We just don't do it once every 15 years. You follow me? So you have to judge things. Why, you know, why are there all the miracles? I'm not trying to make an excuse for our church opposed to somebody else's church, but you have to, you have to look beyond some of the, the, some of the obvious things or, or, or beyond the appearance of things and see what's really going on. Amen. How many of you, uh, how many of you married people, all you married people can answer this. How many of you married people think it's a real good idea to compare your spouse to somebody else's spouse. Woo. Oh, I mean, I mean, they got a real quick response. That's, that's not smart. Oh, I tell you what, if my husband was like Sally's husband, he is so sweet and charming. He, oh, I tell you. Well, you just don't know Sally's husband. As, as well as as, uh, youth, as well as Sally does, <laughs> I heard the story of this man that went to a, to a mental institution where they had all these people you know institutionalized so they 'd lost their minds and so the director of the institution was taking this visitor around and showing him you know and he went up to this one one you know uh, uh, room and there 's a man locked in there he 's screaming and pulling his hair out Mary 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 just pulling his hair out and then the guy said what happened to this man he said well he he was engaged to the love of his life he just loved this woman her name was Mary and on on their wedding day she ran off with another man and he just flipped out he just couldn't handle it he's been like this ever since just pulling Mary Mary so they went on through the institution you know and looking at different people and they come up on another guy he's pulling his hair out and going Mary 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 and he said what happened to this guy and he said this is the guy she ran off with <laughs> she married he married Mary. <laughs> it's not smart to compare your spouse with somebody else's spouse. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean that that, that Sally's husband doesn't have some admirable characteristics that your your husband could learn from. That doesn't, that doesn't, I'm not saying that, but it's not healthy to be making those comparisons because though he has, this Sally's husband has some, some, some things that, uh, that you'd like to see, he probably has some things that you don't want to see 
that your husband is, is in good shape. Isn't that right? Well, to compare your church with another church, you can get led astray doing that. You can get led astray. The same thing. You can be led astray. Well, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. People leaving the church, you know, I, I, uh, I talked last week about the fact that Jesus, there was a time in his ministry when he taught some things that, and the Bible says that many of his, not a few. See, one person leaves, you know, nobody thinks about it, but one whole group of people, they, ooh, something's wrong. Well, a whole bunch of people left Jesus. Said many of his disciples left him and no longer followed after him. And so I suppose, you know, the, the other remaining disciples were murmuring about it because Jesus said, he turned to him and said, what are you going, are you going to leave too? People skills, boy. <laughs> are you going to leave too? And Peter, you know, he, he had a tendency to, to really uh, speak without thinking sometimes, you know, and before he got full of the Holy Ghost, you know, he really, he really said some dumb things. But this is one time he got it right. He said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. Judge righteous judgment. And, and, and we're not making excuses for anything. There's a lot of things that any church could improve on. But not just any church, every church. Amen. And, uh, you know, judging, judging a church by the number of conversions or the numbers of miracles and all of that, you know, that's not the fruit to judge a church by. It's not. Because like I said, that's not the primary goal of the local church. Not according to the New Testament. Peter, I mean, Paul, when he had his, the, he, he, Paul conducted the very first pastor's conference recorded in Christianity. It's in the 20th chapter of Acts. He assembled the elders of Ephesus. Those were the pastors of Ephesus. And he assembled them to Miletus where, where he was in his travels. He called all those pastors and he taught a pastor's conference and he didn't mention salvation one time. He said, feed the flock of God. Amen. And, uh, and so, so well, how do you judge a church? Well, what's its long-term fruit in people's lives? Look at the people who, who have attended and... and uh, Receive that doctrine, receive that ministry and put the ministry and the truths that that church uh, holds dear and what that church believes in. Look at the lives of the people who have received that and put that into practice in their life. What, what's going on? Is there fruit there? That's what you, that's what you judge. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Churches, a lot of times, anxiously follow every trend that comes along for fear of, of being out of step with the latest thing God's doing. You know, they, they, uh, every few years they're changing direction, you know, because they're, they're looking for that elusive key of, you know, that can make us, take us, I hear this all this, well, I don't go to these meetings. I hear this all the time, looking for something to take us to the next level. You know, we've maxed out at this level. We've got so many people coming. We've got to go to the next level. And so there, there's, like I said, there's a whole industry built around uh, the, the things that people are teaching and feeding on that will produce taking your church 
you know, breaking that barrier of a thousand or two thousand or five thousand, getting into that, and it's all natural things. And uh, you know, it, 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 these churches begin to resemble a ship without a rudder because they're just, you know, it's, it's interesting that the Bible teaches about false doctrine and calls it every wind of doctrine. Because that's exactly what false doctrine is like. It blows in and it blows out and it's gone. But in its, in its wake, in its, in it leaves behind a lot of tossed and tattered lives. Well, uh, you know, we, we want to we be doing the, the latest and greatest thing. Well, not all churches are created for the same purpose. I said not all churches are created for the same purpose. It's not a one-size-fits-all proposition, and that's what's wrong with the way these... You know, our church is a, is a fairly good-sized church. When you consider all the churches in America, of all denominations, even in Rhema churches a few years ago, uh, the average church, this was back in the 1990s, I guess, early 2000s, they said the average Rhema church was well under 100 people. And there were thousands of Rhema churches. Well, nationally, uh, and that's nationally, uh, but among all denominations, it's, it's probably that number or, or maybe even a little smaller. You know, in a town our size, we're one of the largest churches in this town. Run about 200 on Sunday. Not the largest one, but we're, we're, we're one of the, the larger ones. We're about 200 people. And, and for this town, this is, this is a fairly good-sized church. And yeah, but I know a church, there's a church over in such and such town, they, it's a church of 43 people and they run 7,000 people. Yeah, I'd personally know a man with an IQ of 185, but I don't know many like him. And those things happen. Usually when that happens, that little town of, you know, few people, they run off, they're about 15 miles from this big metropolis, you know, but that, they don't tell you the rest of that story. But, but my point is, you know, if we were in a town, if we were in Jacksonville, What's the what's the what's the uh, size of High Springs and Alachua combined? Fifteen thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand, maybe twelve thousand. You know, if if in a, in a community of twelve thousand people, church, you know, we run around two hundred. We have more people than that, but I'm talking about actual average attendance around two hundred. We have about two hundred fifty people that say they go here, and we see them. You know, but uh, but you take that and you multi, you extrapolate that. In a city like Jacksonville, you know, one and a half million people, what would be the comparison? Dan, add it up real quick. We'd be running, we'd be zillions. No, we'd be running a couple thousand, you know. So, you know, it, it, every, people just get uh, their eyes on things that it, it's not about how big your church is. It's what, it's what God's doing. What God has, comparing your church to another church is not smart a local church is only anointed to do what it's called to do. A local church is only anointed to do what it's called to do. I heard a, a, a minister years ago make this statement. He said, a movement dies, and this can be a, a movement, a, a denomination or whatever, dies when it begins to get its eyes off of the command that God gave in the beginning and they begin to go after other 
pursuits other than the vision and the rep. That doesn't mean, you know, our vision is that he's, that, that we're ministers and, and witnesses of the things we've seen in which he will yet reveal to us. So there's growth, but they get their eyes off the original vision and start pursuing other things that seem to be more popular. It kills the movement. One man wrote a book that he's a Pentecostal historian, and, and I wish I had the quote right in front of me. He said something to the effect that, that uh, no church or no movement will last perpetually unless it has a, a view of itself as a contributor, uh, a, a significant contributor to the history of Christianity. In other words, if, if you're not doing something that is uh, in line, if God hasn't called you to do something, I wish I could remember the quote, but if God isn't calling you, if you don't see your, your movement or your denomination as inherently fulfilling a place in biblical history of the church, pursuing truths that have been established over oh, oh, from the beginning of the church. If you, if you don't see that, you'll begin to pursue, because you'll per, begin to pursue other things because as soon as conditions change that got you started, you, you'll be like a duck out of water. You, you won't have anything to say anymore. So, uh, and I've seen that. That really, when you look at the graveyard of denominations, that's really what's happened. Most of the denominations in the world, that older denominations, at some point lost the vision that God gave them in the beginning and they wanted to be like everybody else and they started pursuing other things. A church is only anointed to do what it's called to do. That's where a local church's power and that's where a local church's longevity lie, right there, in pursuing what God gave that church to do. Uh, Pastor Nancy Dufresne, now, now their church in California is, is bigger than ours. It's, I don't think it's twice the size of ours, but it might, be, it might be just under twice the size of ours. So it's not, you know, it's, it's in a much larger populated area. Their church is not, you know, a huge church by any means. And they've pastored. She and, and Dr. Ed pastored large churches. I mean, they had church before, you know, a couple thousand people. Uh, and so it's not, you know, that, that they're, they're incapable of doing that or she's not capable of doing that. Or Actually, the church has grown since Dr. Ed went to heaven. Uh, but in that location, it never got as big as the previous church uh, had gotten. But uh, that was in, when they had the other church, it was earlier in the Word of Faith movement and the Word of Faith movement was new. And it was young and people were more excited about, you know, like it goes back to that excitement about the new thing that's going on. And so there was, you know, there, was a, there are just a lot of dynamics involved. And, uh, but she said that she asked Brother Hagen one time about uh, uh, the good ones. J.R. Goodwin, you know, Brother Hagen talked about Brother Goodwin in the Assemblies of God. He pastored the Pine, uh, Pasadena Assembly of God there in Pasadena, California for a number of years, many, many years. And Brother Hagen said that he would go he would drive hundreds of miles when he was in that part of the, of the country, anywhere, within several hundred miles, he would drive hundreds of miles just to go pray with that man. He said he was just a, a, an intensely spiritual man, had a great church, and they said they had a real good, consistent move of the Spirit. And, uh, but their church never, their church was uh, bigger than ours, but not a lot bigger, and it was comfortably full, but they never expanded. They never built another church. And so uh, Pastor Nancy asked Dad Hagen about that one time. She was reading about the history of the Godwins and uh, the Goodwins, rather. And he said that, that 
the Lord uh, specifically instructed Pastor Goodwin. He said, do not expand your building. Do not build a bigger building. He said, if you build a bigger building, you will grow in that building. He said, this is what the Holy Ghost said to him. But you'll lose the move of the Spirit that you have in this group. He said, because you get to a certain size, you can't get those people in unity. And you won't have, he said, I put this church here to, to be a church where to, to pioneer some things and to be an example of the depth of the move of the Holy Ghost. And he said, you get beyond that and, and you'll lose it. And so his, his congregation, they'd get up to a certain size, you know, to where they were uncomfortably full and the attendance would drop back down. And then they'd build back up. He said, did that for years and years and years. And he would not build. Like I said, uh, uh, a church is anointed to do what it's called to do. Amen. And, uh, and so we, we need to be aware of that. And uh, follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. You judge things by the Word and the Spirit. And uh, like I said, I wish I'd learned these things when I was younger. But I, but I have learned them, praise God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.